welcome to this week's edition of the American Scottish Foundation, Scots in Us. We turn the spotlight onto the Edinburgh Festival, the return this year of the Edinburgh Festival in person for the first time in two years. And we're very fortunate that we're going to be joined by some leading voices within our Scottish arts community. The first in what will be a series of interviews with these leading voices, giving us insights and behind the curtain views of what is going on. We begin by speaking with Anthony Alderson. He's the founder and director of the Pleasant Theatre Trust, and he will be telling us of all that is going on with the Pleasants this year. Over 600 productions daily, over 27 venues. We're then joined by Mina Shah, who is a National Librarian of Scotland and CEO of the National Library of Scotland. She will be telling us about the Treasures Gallery that's recently opened and also a wonderful new exhibit that is going to open in time for the festival. And then we get an inside look into what it is to be performing and putting on a production at the Fringe from Noisemaker, the award-winning team of Claire McKenzie and Scott Gilmore. They don't have a production this year on at the Fringe, but they've had award-winning productions over the years from Atlantic to Forest Boy, and explain to us how it is such a great stepping stone, but also with challenges. And they give us their picks. And so let's begin by joining in conversation with Anthony Alderson. And I'm delighted to now welcome back Anthony Alderson, who is the Pleasant Theatre Trust Director and former Vice Chair for over 30 years of the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. And so good morning to you, Anthony. Good morning, um, and very lovely to be here. You've slightly exaggerated my tenure to the Fringe Society. I was only their vice chairman for about eight years. But, oh, uh, but you were involved? Uh, I've, been a, I've been around the Fringe for at least three decades. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> they wouldn't have me for that long. Okay, but they've had you for a we're very they had me for a while, yes, yes. For a little while. Yeah. You really know and live and understand the fringe and all that goes on in August up in Edinburgh. Um, you're spending half your year also down in London with uh, the theatre down there preparing to come up to Edinburgh for the fringe. Yeah. And it's been, as we've spoken over the last two years, the most challenging of times. But can you tell me where we are this year? How is it looking? I don't know whether I'm coming or going. <laughs> <laughs> um, where are we this year? Well, we're we're back. I mean, it, it, what 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 I mean is it, what I mean by that is that we're opening um, we're opening all the venues that we did in 2019. Um, we have a jam-packed program. How many is that? So this year, I think we're 27 venues. Fantastic. Um, and we're presenting over 270 shows. Amazing. Um, and our biggest venue is 1,300 seats. Our smallest venue is 50 seats. Um, and it ranges from very large ballet down to, you know, brand new, new pieces of new writing from new companies, stand-up comedy, great big children's programme, um, lots of spoken words, and, um, and lots of festival. Um, I can't wait. So what is, when you say festival, what do you mean by that? Well, it, 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 we open on the 3rd of August and we close on the 29th. So for 27 days of performance, we will be presenting um, 280 odd shows um, every day. Um, we have a cast of, of probably two and a half thousand people who are involved in all of those productions across those venues. We have a crew of nearly 500 who run the buildings and run the bars and the catering. And we, we, we partner with Edinburgh University who run all the bars. Um, and we hope a very large audience. When we did this last in 2019, we had an audience of um, just over 600,000 people um, came through the Pleasance. And, and our hope is that those people will be back um, and will be bringing all their friends. <laughs> 
are you incorporating some of the outdoor elements um, to the performance space? Um, We're not. Um, I mean, the, the outdoor spaces around the Pleasance are very much there for the enjoyment of customers between shows. But um, no, we're building we're building venues again. We're we're turning all those little nooks and crannies and rooms and sports centres and lecture theatres back into theatres. Um, in fact, the crew started work um, this week on starting to build it all. But that um, is what the 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 whole fringe is about. It's about yeah. all these going into a building and there being like five different performances going on in different areas of this. Absolutely. So we have three sites, the Pleasance Courtyard, which has 16 venues around it. Um, and they that's where we started 38 years ago, yes. when we opened one space. There is actually a theatre there, the original theatre, the little theatre was, um, this is the 75th anniversary of the festival. Um, and in fact, in 1947, one of the original Fringe productions, a production of Gorky's The Lower Depths, was put on in what is now the Pleasance Theatre by um, Glasgow Unity Theatre. Um, they came with a piece. They were one of the sort of eight protesters, the uninvited eight, who, um, who the, the International Festival really didn't want um, because they didn't want to promote Scottish work in quite the way that the Unity Theatre wanted to do it. And so there has been something always at the Pleasance on that site. In those days, it was called the Little Theatre, but there has been something there really since the very start of the Fringe, um, way back when in 1975. Um, we started calling it the Pleasance in 19, what am I, uh, 1947 is when that started. We started calling it the Pleasance in 1985. But and the name is now stuck. The courtyard is such a beautiful location. Uh, it's a wonderful venue. It's like a, it's like a Belgian beer garden. Um, you feel as if you're in a part of Edinburgh that's been carved out of the very rock of the city. It's the most gorgeous. I've probably spent four years of my life in that courtyard um, over the years, you know, doing theatrical things. Um, one of my favourite places on earth. And what I love about it is that you can sit in the courtyard and complete strangers will come and talk to you about the shows they've just seen and what they've just experienced or who they've just met or the argument about nuclear physics they're probably having with a member of the bar staff. Because most of the bar staff are university students and they're all incredibly bright, incredibly clever people and um, speak several languages. And, and, you know, it's the most wonderful gathering of human spirit. And it, um, it's also, it's right in the centre of the city, you know what yeah. I mean, it's easy to get to. When um, we started, it was very much on the outskirts of the fringe. We were seen as being really kind of, you know, outlying the, 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 yeah. the centre of the fringe. But now I think we're, in fact, I think one newspaper called us the, uh, the epicentre of the cultural universe. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> <laughs> you can make of that what you like. Um, but no, we, 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 we love being at the heart of the festival. It's a, it's a great, it's such a wonderful event. But we have, we have productions from all over the world, including a dance company that we're trying to bring from Kiev in, in, um, in Ukraine. Oh, wonderful. Um, we're bringing 14 dancers from the Freedom Ballet of Ukraine. They have a, they've been going about 20 years. And the idea, if we can get the visas, if we can get them, they've been given permission to leave um, there was a problem with the male dancers being able to leave the country, but they've now been given permission. Um, we've now just got to get them visas to get into this country. Uh, but they're spread across the, you know, bits of Europe. Some of the dancers are still in Kiev, um, but we, we, we're determined to bring them and we're determined to put on their show. Well, I, 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 wonderful. Yeah, it should be great. But we've got people coming from all over the world. I mean, a company coming from India. We've got people coming from New Zealand, from America, from Canada. Um, someone asked me if, if, in fact, there were less international companies because of Brexit. And I, I think the opposite is actually true. I think we've got more international companies coming this year. You have a Greek. Um, what people don't understand is that the Fringe actually, the festival, has a very good visa programme worked out that is 
supportive to the short stay for the fringe, isn't it? Yeah. It, the idea is that it's permit-free, so you don't need a work permit to work at the festival if yes. you are a performing company. Um, you still need a visa to enter the country if you come from a country that requires that, but you don't require a work permit for the, for the festival, which I think is Fabulous. wonderful. I mean, I think it means that we see and are able to welcome people from every single corner of the globe to come. Yeah, it, um, it, and it's still the world's largest showcase for theatre anywhere. I mean, people come from festivals and theatres all over the world to come and find work and to come and meet new writers, new directors, um, in order to, to, we hope, to export that work back to their own countries. Well, the city, to um, I'm going to be over in August, as I just have let you know, and I can't wait to have that wonderful feeling of just being immersed into the fringe and the, yeah. the whole festival. And it is, you know, layers of festival because you have the book and the art and all the different other aspects going on. But what are you most excited about putting on at the Pleasance this year? Last year, you had um, some wonderful musical expressions going on. Um, so what, what would you like to spotlight to us right now? Well, I think we've got some very, very exciting shows. Um, the, the, the lot who are behind um, Mischief Theatre Company, who are behind the play that goes wrong, um, they're bringing two pieces. Um, to us. Um, they've got three shows running in the West End at the moment. Um, a wonderful musical called Fas Fantastically Great Women Who Changed the World, um, which is aimed at, uh, at, at youngsters to educate um, young people about the amazing things that some of these women have done over the years. And that includes sort of Emmeline Pankhurst and, and, and all these fabulous characters from history. Um, a wonderful French production called Phil's Monkey, which is, a, I'm told, a drumming term. Um, and they're two sort of high-octane high drummers on stage who do the most remarkable things with a drum kit. Um, really great. Ballet Freedom, I mentioned, which is the Ukrainian um, Freedom Ballet Company. They're bringing their show Boudoir, which is, um, it, uh, it, I would describe it as, if our wardrobes could talk, what would they say? Um, and it's a piece about, you know, it's a piece of dance, but it explores our bedrooms. It's very, very, very exciting and, and I think could be really glorious. Um, Cirque Berserk are back with their extraordinary um, circus show, which this year includes five motorbikes in the globe of death, um, which is pretty extraordinary, I have to say. It's absolutely one of the most terrifying things I've seen in my life, but it is absolutely amazing. Where are you doing that? So this is all happening at the International Conference Centre. That's at the International Conference. Yeah. It is this year, it's the Young Pleasance 25th anniversary. Our youth theatre company celebrates 25 years and we're doing an adaptation of Kafka's The Trial. Um, we're doing an urban Welsh play, Porno, which is the, um, which is the, the follow on to train spotting. Um, so that's a premiere. Um, which could be great. I think it could be really, really fabulous. Um, I'm trying to do all of this from memory. So oh, you're, you're, this is fantastic. I think that we're going to have to have you back as you're a little bit closer in. Yeah. And maybe spotlight even, maybe we can even see you in the, uh, down at the courtyard. The courtyard. Yeah, that would be great. That would be lovely. But the point is that, that, I mean, we, 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 we are bringing, we're actually producing or co-producing 23 different shows ourselves. We've teamed up with eight, eight theatres around the country. Um, and we have this national partnership programme, which is really trying to discover new regional voices and trying to help regional theatres bring stuff to the festival. And, and, and the, the festival means an awful lot to regional theatres in this country because it's where they come to programme a great deal of work and again to find creative people um, so it's really lovely to be working across a number of theatres across the country and musically what um last year that played a big part have you any um musicals or productions yeah well musical well, fantastically great women who changed the world is a musical um oh. it's very much in the vein of six the musical 
um, the same producers, in fact. Um, and there's a number of musicals, none of which I can remember off yeah, the top right. of my head. Um, because, and I stupidly didn't bring the brochure with me, otherwise I could have flicked to that page. But there is a big music programme. Um, and in fact, at the EICC, we're opening a brand new venue, a bit of a cabaret space specifically to try and promote a music programme. There's a great flamenco guitarist, two flamenco guitarists coming called Flamenco Fusion or duo, I think the band are actually called, and they are simply breathtaking. Absolutely wonderful performance. So if one wanted to go to an evening show at six or something, one could go on to another one yeah. after that. And the children's shows start at 10 in the morning and the late night cabarets finish at three in the morning. We don't ever sleep. It, oh it's a 24 hour operation. And when the doors are closed, there's actually a huge yard staff who come around and clean all the venues, who get rid of all the waste, who clear up all the, you know, the bottles and the pint glasses and the, you know, it, it doesn't stop. And then the crew are back in at nine, the first show starts at 10 and it rolls all day long. I think 27 days, it's wonderful. You're, and you are inspiring and we're so fortunate that you're there doing all that you do and growing and making the whole fringe and all of that happen. It's the whole of Edinburgh is so is geared to it and delivering food and uh, hospitality to all of us who descend. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not just only what you're doing at the theatre, it's the whole experience that you're Absolutely. making. It, the whole thing is an experience. And, in, and one of the big parts of what we do is training. Um, so a lot of the crew members who come, this is their first jobs for many people. It's volunteers. We're still looking for volunteers. There's a real shortage of people um, this year. We're still looking for crew members. We're still looking for volunteers. But for some of those young people, this is their very first steps into the arts. And, you know, we run actual formal training programs for them. We run training programs throughout the festival. So you come away at the end of a month, a very much a changed person, very much more exhausted, but very much more educated and enlightened, I hope. Well, I'm just delighted that we've caught up with you today. Um, and if we can check back in with you in a few weeks, that would be fantastic. Yeah, that would be delightful. Lovely. Right? And to seeing you soon too, in person. Exactly. Well, that would be nice with too many Zoom calls. We've got to get everybody there in person. I mean, I think this is why festivals are becoming so important again. They're great gathering places. And people, we, we're gathering folk. We want to be together. No, we, we want to be in rooms. I mean, I, I'm, I thought that we would, um, that everything would go digital, that we'd move on to this digital world and everything else. But actually, it's amazing how quickly theatre has come back to wanting to be live. You cannot replace the experience of being in a room full of people. Uh, but I also love the small experience, the yeah. small, you know, off Broadway's, you know, which we have here, uh, experience. I think that's also Absolutely. wonderful. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, these are not theatres, but they really do become them. Yes. Um, and you put some, um, I mean, amazingly talented storytellers on stage, and they're, they're really breathtaking. Some of the originality. I see something every year that completely changes my life. Um, and it blows me away every time. Well, that's why you have this energy to keep going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No one else would have me. <laughs> Take care. And Thank we'll you very much. Very soon. Lovely Thank to you. see you. Bye, Camilla. Take care. Uh, good morning and welcome to this week's Scots in Us. I'm delighted that this week I'm able to catch up with Amina Shah. She is the National Library of Scotland's Chief Executive and the National Librarian of Scotland. And so Amina, welcome back. I'm so pleased we're taking a few minutes to find out all that's going on. <laughs> Lovely to be here, Camilla. Thanks for asking me along. Always happy to speak to our wonderful, um, supportive American patrons and happy 4th of July day for yesterday as well, of course. <laughs> yes, it was very warm here. So it's <laughs> lovely to see you. So Amina, um, I spoke the other week 
to Dora Petheridge, who took us on a journey through the Treasures Gallery, which is a really exciting new addition to the library. Um, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about what you hope it will achieve, because it seemed to have a lot of new aspects to it that you were looking to introduce and grow within the library that we might not think about as part of the library. Yeah, absolutely, Camilla. It's just a wonderful opportunity for us to showcase the collections that are in the library. And actually, a lot of our collections are beneath people's feet. We have 13 floors of stack underneath the Treasures Gallery in George IV Bridge. And if anyone's ever in Edinburgh and would like a tour of those, let me know. I'd love to show you around. Uh, so the, the Treasures Gallery is just a little space well quite it's quite a large space but it's a, it's a it's a sneak peek opportunity to see some of those collections and to get a glimpse of what's beneath um the collections in our treasures of the library and in order to do that appropriately what we started with in the treasures gallery when you walk in is really a description about the history of the library because um, as you can imagine we get people from all over the world coming to Edinburgh and entering the library and we just want to be able to say what we're about and that it's our role to collect preserve and share the printed and recorded memory of Scotland and we do that digitally and physically so the treasures is a chance to showcase things from the oldest items that we have to the most up-to-date and it starts really with a, an absolutely jaw-dropping uh, manuscript, the Iona Psalter, and it dates from around 1140 to 1180, and it was created uh, by the monks um, in Iona um, for an abbess, for a female um, abbot of the time. And the, the document is just incredibly beautifully um, illustrated uh, with illuminated manuscripts and you know it's, it's just absolutely divine and the idea that it's nearly a, a thousand years old you know the, the oldest document we, we have one of the oldest things we have in our collection so but you you are really um what dora was explaining also is you've got wonderful romantic historical moments like flora Macdonald and bonnie prince charlie and some manuscripts and notes that you've been able to show and mm -hmm. then people can go into the rest of the library to see more and but it sort of gives them a window into all you're doing exactly so fantastic i had no idea that your work of course now i, I it makes sense also does include what's happening now the digital mm -hmm. world of what we are and um recordings and albums and all this side of things, it, it's a huge job. You're not the national librarian of history, you're of today and tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, we are a legal deposit library. So we are one of the six legal deposit libraries in the UK and Ireland. And that means that we collect um, published material. We, we're entitled to get a copy of every book published. <laughs> And that's huge. So when the advocates started collecting, of course, um, back in the 1700s, then the, when Legal Deposit came in, that there were very few books published. But thanks to Gutenberg and revolutions in publishing and uh, across the number of book published increases uh, year on year. And now, of course, they're digital books as well. So we collect digitally and we collect um, in, in printed format. And actually, I was telling you there about the Iona Psalter and, and how delicate and precious that is and how old it is. But some of our most fragile collections, what we call fragile collections, are those digital collections that were curated or collected back in around 2010. And some of them use technologies such as Flash, 
which isn't available anymore. So those eBooks and digital content at that time is, is inaccessible already. So we have a digital preservation issue um, around collecting some of them. And of course we have other things like CD-ROMs and um, computer games and you know so much content that is way beyond uh, just books. You're absolutely right. And it's really important that we collect it because um, I don't know if you've, if any of you've heard about Richard Ovenden, the Bodleian's librarian, who's written a book called Burning the Books, and he talks about the value and importance of retaining these memory for the future for truth telling and to know what's happened in the past. So, you know, the cultural memory that is it's critically important that we have those documents. You're right to mention the lion in mourning. We've got documents that were and um, you know all about the Jacobite struggle and even a little pack of playing cards uh, that somebody was was writing you know on as they were observing um, at Culloden it's incredible and we, ha we have those within within the collection as well but we need to make sure that we're collecting today to, to, to in the future people will still be able to look back and 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 understand what happened. Well, I think um, it, it all goes to, it's like the spirit of the Highlands project that's going on up in Inverness, mm -hmm. telling the stories of the past to help us understand today. And I was really fascinated to know more about an exhibit you've got going on about pen names, because we all think about how we instant message everybody and send an email and do all these different things. But all this came, they were doing it in a different way, way back. So tell me what pen names is all about. Okay, so pen names, we're really excited to be launching this new summer exhibition. Um, uh, on Thursday, actually, we're having a launch event. Uh, so it's really taking some of our unique literary archives. So, you know, we have the John Murray archive and many others from, from the John Murray Publishing House. And within that, we have an incredible array of um, not just published works and first editions, but notes, letters, manuscripts from writers throughout the time. So from the, the Murray Archive, alongside other things we have in our collection, our curators, uh, Kirsty McHugh and Ian Scott have put together this exhibition, which will focus on writers who've chosen to write in a different name, a name other than their own uh, throughout time and the reasons for that. Uh, so it's really fascinating fascinating. So of course there are famous writers like George Eliot who've done that but also Sylvia Plath. Uh, we have a first edition um, of The Bell Jar which she wrote in a pseudonym um, and there's also lesser known writers that people might not be as aware of throughout history who've also um, taken this approach and the exhibition looks at some of the reasons. So sometimes obviously it's so that people don't know um, it, they might want to be more accepted and a number of female writers, a lot of women writers did write um, as in a name that, that could be non-gender specific, presumably to get published actually and to have a wider readership. Uh, but then Robert Louis Stevenson uh, also wrote under a um, pseudonym uh, for Treasure Island, which was really interesting. And that was probably his publisher who suggested that change. So the, the, the whole exhibition traces the range of, of different people who've written under pen names that we have within our collection and gives a little glimpse of those. So it's really exciting. That's very different. Um, and, uh, and something you wouldn't think about but you're always doing, you always have new and exciting new editions. And not surprisingly, is your national depository. But I was very honored to be a part of helping with the Honestfeld Library acquisition, which is going to be a wonderful new addition of works to the National Library. So, how's that going? And where do we stand at the moment? Well, first of all, a huge thanks to American patrons for all the support. We really couldn't have done it without you. It was absolutely fabulous. Uh, the, the whole project, as you know, I had just taken up uh, post at the time that it was it was really getting started. So it was a brilliant thing to be involved with right at the beginning and to see all that work. And um, 
It was a collaborative effort as well. So we were working with libraries across the UK uh, to save the library, the Onnesfield Library, and, and bring it into public hands, you know, to bring the bards home. Um, so those bards uh, are now ours, but are still at Sotheby's in London, and we're uh, collecting them in August. So obviously, there weren't just the big hitters, you know, the um, the first editions of Burns, etc., and, and um, Walter Scott, but we also had a number of other books that were part of that collection and libraries all across the country had to go and collect the items from Sotheby's. So it's been a huge operation, in fact. So in August, we'll be taking hours up to Scotland and driving them up here. And the first thing that we're going to do is have an exhibition of Rob Roy in Glasgow at Kelvin Hall. So um, we're really excited about that and looking forward to people actually being able to see the manuscript. And it's really important to us that we digitize these manuscripts as well, and that we continue to work collaboratively with the other partners in the project to make sure that people have access to all to the collections and across the world. But we know how valuable it is for people to come and see the actual handwriting of Burns, to see you know, the first commonplace book and see what he'd written in it and all of that. Um, so we're really, really excited um, to take to bring those home and, and have them here in Scotland. Also, for those who are not so up to date with the Honours Belt, it began when it was noticed that the, uh, a huge uh, collection of books was coming up for auction at Sotheby's in New York. And it was stopped just the day before by a collaborative effort between eight museums and collections in the UK who came together so quickly and undertook to raise the money and, and complete it within six months. I mean, it was a huge undertaking and it also had to work out who was going to take what from Jane Austen across to uh, Sir Walter Scott to Burns, etc. And um, all of us got behind amplifying it and being a part of it. And I mean, it was such it's so, such an exciting time to work with the National Trust for mm -hmm. Scotland, with yourselves, with um, Abbotsford House in particular, and to see what we could do to help save for Scotland the, the bards and these leading authors. And um, I'm so excited. But it also shows how there can be these secret collections. I mean, that was a really outstanding thing, wasn't it? Absolutely. It was amazing. It was it was almost like a fairy tale in itself because some people knew about the collection and it was, a, you know, there were sort of whispers of it and some people had seen it and worked with it before. Um, but the idea of bringing coming together to save it from going into private hands and being broken up and distributed across the world without us ever having access was really quite unique and really special and, and again huge thanks to everyone um, in America all the American patrons who helped us with that just it, it really is it does show you what, what can be done when we all work together and work collaboratively and the the speed was something else as well wasn't it the fact everyone just got together and, and and went for it it was really amazing and we're absolutely thrilled and uh, we can't wait to actually see the collections in situ and of course they will be part of our treasures gallery in in time as well and in the future we'll have lots of opportunity to display the material well you're coming up to a centenary as well the centennial of a hundred years so yes. um, that all this is sort of building towards that. Um, and a library has, the library has changed from what it started out to be to where it is now. So how are you looking to celebrate this milestone in a couple of years? Yeah, it was really exciting. Yeah, so in, um, in 2025, the National Library of Scotland will be 100 years old. And what we really love to do is 
uh, have a, a sort of a celebration across the whole of Scotland and with all our partners. So we want to get people together and think about what we could do, because of course we're the National Library of Scotland, not the National Library of Edinburgh. So we have a remit to sort of reach out and include everyone. And it'll be the culmination of our strategy, our Reaching People strategy too in 2025, which is all about reaching people across Scotland. Some of you might be aware of, I think New York Public Library, for example, have done a, a big project recently to try and pull collect collections out and make the library more of an open space and that's exactly what we want to do we want to really make it people feel that when they come to Edinburgh they can walk in that it, they can enjoy the collections it's maybe it belongs to them they get to a slice of seeing you know what's on display that we have a young audience as well and we've got space for um, young people for children's events for school events so that the library is vibrant and alive but equally that we have top class research rooms and facilities as well so you know we've got really um we've got big ambitions for that space and we'd love to make an announcement around the time of our birthday and we've been talking to the Scottish government about that about bringing the, the building to life uh, Scotland is you know is a UNESCO city of literature and we have the most incredible collections and incredible staff team and energy in the National Library and we just love to show it off with a, a beautiful building in Edinburgh too. Well now with the Treasures Gallery this is really the five-year plan that's playing out you know you've got the treasures gallery is opened it's opening up this wonderful new window onto all that you have yes. um, and we're learning so much more it's lovely having you in touch with us through video uh, able to tell us about what's going on I had no idea well I'd never thought of it about how the recordings and everything are a part of what you do of the albums of the of all of these books that are coming to you digitally and in, in person and i think this is so exciting and um and also i think it is so much a family event because we want young people to understand the history but they need something they can understand immediately too Exactly, exactly. It's so important that we're relevant to young people and we're vibrant and people understand uh, the value of, of keeping these memories and, and holding on to that sort of cultural heritage into the future. Well, I, well, nobody quite understood. I've always had spreadsheets from an early age, right? My father, my grandfather was a mathematician and things. And, and I was a librarian at school. And now <laughs> a library at the American Scottish Foundation. And I love how we're logging everything. So there is, I have a great appreciation and a mini sense of what you're doing. I cannot even comprehend the scope of your work. <laughs> it's fabulous. And I thank you. I'm going to be over soon in Scotland and I'm so looking forward to trying to catch up with you and with oh, Lucy. Oh, that's wonderful. And to see you. But oh, that would be lovely, Camilla. That would be, I can't wait to see you. And you'll have to give us a advance warning of your favourite items and things that you'd like to see in the collection. If you'd like to see the music stuff, we've got great uh, folk archives and Scottish folk music, etc., which are really wonderful. So yeah, let me know in advance and we'll look out some specially handpicked treasures for you. Well, I'm, I'm really, really excited and there's so much for us to talk about. So thank you for joining us today and to us speaking again very soon about all that's going on. Wonderful. Thanks for speaking. Thanks for your time, Camilla. Lovely to speak to you. I'm delighted this morning to be joined by Claire McKenzie and Scott Gilmore, the duo that is Noisemaker. And as we approach the start of the Fringe, this year they haven't got a production that will be happening. That's a rare thing for you both. But the Fringe has been a wonderful springboard for several of your productions. Could you let us know a little bit about how that all works? 
Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, hello, Camilla. First of all, it's dead nice to see you. Um, yeah, so so Claire and I have. I mean, we've worked together now as as a writing partnership for uh, this is our tenth year working together. Um, uh, you can see it in the eyes if you look really closely. Um, we uh, we started as a as a as a duo uh, writing work in Glasgow and taking it to to the festival much like kind of a uh, small scale like productions to try them out uh, and and to really get a sense of, of of how we kind of write together the first the first piece we ever did there was based on like a a true story that we'd read in in a newspaper article it was a show called forest boy that started in yes. uh started in scotland in edinburgh in claire was it 2013 was that 2013, right it was that long ago yeah. 2013 uh, and that was a collaboration between us and the royal conservatoire of scotland at the time uh, so it was a, a show for their master's program at the university they did a, a version of it and that show actually left after we did it at the festival it went to london for a little bit it, it, we won some awards for it and that's actually and how we met how we met exactly. it is we found ourselves in new york with it but that is all thanks to the the fringe platform that we had that year yeah. um so we do owe a lot to that festival and that was the start of um i think about four or five shows we have taken to the fringe first and it's a great place to try something out and, and usually they're like about an hour slots at the fringe so they're quite a, a small version of the show but it's perfect when you've got a first draft of a show to try out in front of an audience. But it is expensive. It's not like they, the people you go to see and talk to about your production say, oh, we'll put it on and here's a check. You have to raise the funds and really get behind promoting and pushing it. And I don't know if everybody understands how much all of you put into put getting these productions on because not all of them are funded by the entity hosting you no actually very very rarely will, will you get any uh, financial support from from a venue a venue will will partner with you in terms of like marketing and, and selling tickets and stuff but when it comes to actually fronting money for the production it's pretty much always on you as, a, as an artist or as or if you have a producer to help you raise some money and even like really really bare bones version of a production you're well into like the 10 20 30 grand to to do a run at the festival so it's not like a it's not an easy like undertaking but i think if sometimes it's not always like a financial payoff you're going for it is yeah. it is undeniably though it is the biggest festival the biggest arts festival in the world and it connects so many different artistic communities and and different international communities from all over the world coming to edinburgh for that one month and and that kind of exposure i suppose to not just like different people in your industry but just audiences in general it, there isn't really another place in the world to do that so i guess it's the the payoff is 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 being allowed to like show your work to that on that scale and it's so, a great experience so, though, you know, for, for artists who've written a show and then you have to kind of figure out how you're going to sort of produce it, maybe find some money, maybe sell the thing. I think you get to learn what your show is and who it's for very quickly. So although it's a bit of a trial by fire and you're kind of like running to keep up, I wouldn't change that experience for artists at all. But you are just so when you're in Edinburgh and you see all these people busking, and all these little pop-up shows happening, support them. Because you really do, the artists really are needing your support. Because um, that's a, a big thing about this, is yeah. the artists are really putting so much energy into it. But can we start off by taking a listen to something from Forest Boy? It won so much acclaim and was such a great springboard for you. So um, which track would you like us to hear first? Um, let's have a listen to Master of the Land, um, which was one of the, the first songs in the show. Behind and then 
when you came to New York that first time with Forest Boy, you beat out 900 other entrants to win a space at the New York Music Festival. And it was wonderful. It was such a springboard into everything that then happened over here. So when you look at who's going to be performing this year at the Fringe, you're going to be looking at it with a different pair of eyes. You're going to be going as an audience member. Um, what are you really excited by that you've heard is coming up? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, again, it's like one of the reasons the, the, the festival is so good is because the, the, the range of stuff you get to see just can go from huge big scale productions that are so kind of well supported and uh, and are coming from quite big theatres and then there's other things that are just like little rogue uh unexpected little gems that you know are going to go on and do something fabulous i remember a few years ago actually that that wasn't this is not this festival but the first one it was a few years ago we saw uh, the musical six so that's now on broadway and it's in the west end and it was a fringe show it began as a fringe show and it was a it was a student fringe version of that show that came to the the festival and it's now gone on to be one of the you know biggest musicals in the world at the moment i, th I think for me like this year uh the two shows i think i'm most excited about seeing are there's actually a show from the national theater of scotland that is getting made which is suppose is like quite a big scale thing uh, it's a show called burn that is featuring alan cumming as Robert Burns. It's actually it's a, it's mostly a, a physical dance piece using a lot of his uh, a lot of his poetry and songs and stuff. And it's a look at the bar that in in a sort of cooler, more modern way. So I, I I'm quite excited to to see like how how something that's so kind of rooted in its Scottishness kind of comes across in that in that way. Um, but I think like like musical wise, I think for for me that there's a show called Lizard Boy which actually began in the States. So it does, it's doing the reverse of what we did with Forest Boy. Um, lots of uh, lots of feral boys, apparently, at the festival. Lizard Boy is a piece that started in Seattle um, that it's like quite a comic book, graphic novel type musical. It has moved over to Manchester um, to, to do like a really short run before doing the festival this year. And it's like some American writing it's really great, but it's coming to the festival this year, and I'll be interested to see how uh, how international audiences like receive it as like an American musical at like the Scottish festival. Yeah, and you, Claire? Yeah, I mean Scott copied me with Burn. We didn't. I mean, I'm really excited to see Alan coming in that piece. And um, I'm gonna I'm throw in another musical that I'm excited to see. It's called Fantastically Great Women Who Changed the World. And it's by um, a writer called Chris Bush. And it's already been on a UK tour and it's coming to the fringe, which I think is a really exciting way of doing it, where it's already had a tour and that, and then it's gonna play at the fringe for the month. And um, it's gonna be great to see a really large scale new musical um, in Edinburgh. So really excited about that one too. Mm. Well, why don't we um, also now hear a, a piece from Atlantic? Because that was a huge, piece for you wasn't it yeah that was actually a sh the show that um <clears throat> it began at the the, fe the festival it was one of ours that started at the fringe festival in 2017 uh, it was a, a a piece that was about the story of saint kilda which is one of scotland's like most remote islands and and since uh, since the, the french festival that we had quite a successful run there and the show went on to become a podcast series uh, that's that's just been out uh, over uh, and was it 2020, Claire, that we that it was out? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. So uh, yeah, it's it's now on uh, like uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all that stuff. So yeah, we we we'd love to share a piece from that. So what what piece would you like to share with us today, Claire? Um, let's share. I I run with you, which is um one of the first songs in the series. And it's uh, where two, uh, our two young lead characters are kind of exploring the island of St Kilda, which is where it's set, which is a very, very remote island out in the Atlantic. I've ran this route before, trodden down this grass, know where ferns to jump, know which walks to pass, coast to coast, I've seen all there is to know, water's all that's done me running further. 
mother from home. Quinn, be careful. You're going <laughs> to drop Lena. Come on, Lena. I've chased him down before. No, which route he'll choose. Up along the cliffs. Thorn is why he'll lose. Herta is a riddle, but it's ours to roam. Water's all that keeps us running farther from home. <laughs> But my feet won't get in <laughs> And my breath won't get out <laughs> My legs won't get up And my heart won't give in to that You've had so many different productions that I've been fortunate um, to be witnessing and watching your journey. And I'm really looking forward to hearing and knowing the latest on Kaylee, which is coming shortly. But where are you with everything right now? I know that you're doing quite a bit over here in the States. Um, and so very shortly, I hope we're going to be hearing and knowing more of that. Can you fill us in? And also you have some soundtracks that are now available on Spotify, don't you? Yeah, uh, yeah, we, we do. We've actually, there's a couple of our shows that we're, that we're now uh, releasing the, the score and soundtrack to, uh, which uh, Claire will be the one to tell you exactly how to access that, because this is the face of the person who doesn't do that <laughs> side of things. Well, yeah, uh, actually, <laughs> when this podcast is released, um, our first album that we've released will be out on Spotify, and it's called Atlantic. A Scottish story and it's original music from the podcast so there is a podcast series you can listen to if you want the full story but we've also got the full soundtrack there now and you should find us you can also search for us just by typing noisemaker and you'll see our two faces looking back at you probably somewhere and mm. um, so that one's out soon we've also got um, another soundtrack coming out shortly and um, to a brand new show that we have been working on called Scots um, which is basically uh, a, an irreverent look at Scottish history um, told in an hour. So we did our first production of it um, last month at um, Oran Moor in Glasgow, which is a lovely venue. And it went, it was a hoot. And it, hopefully we're going to bring it to the States as well. So we're going to release that soundtrack. And it's all about Scottish history, um, but hopefully taking out the boring bits. <laughs> 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 all right so that's that's great so at the moment over this summer are you writing uh yeah we're in the we're in the process of uh we have as you kind of mentioned earlier on we have a, a piece called kaylee that is in development in the states uh so we're really fortunate to be working with uh, Barbara Whitman and Beth Grove, who are two New York-based producers, on developing this show, which is uh, which is a Kaylee. The audiences get to come along to a uh, a big live Kaylee, learn some of the dances, some of Scottish kind of culture and tradition, whilst also following a, a story that kind of emerges through through the evening. So that we are we're sort of putting some final touches to the draft and the the songs, and then we kind of in the autumn are in New York to do our first sort of workshop of that piece. So our first kind of go of getting it on its feet, which will be nice and exciting. Uh, we're also we're really delighted to be. Uh, partnering again with uh, Goodspeed Musicals in Connecticut, who developed an old show of ours called Hi, My Name is Ben, which yes. is another piece we're, we're, we're still working on in, in the States. Uh, Goodspeed have just commissioned us to start a new show for them based on uh, a, a, a novella called The Snow Goose, which is a 
really beautiful uh, story um, set uh, during Dunkirk. Um, so really kind of like rich, beautiful, uh, moving little story that we are taking the, the, the book and adapting it for the stage as a new musical. So we're, we're just starting the writing for that, which will kind of begin around autumn. Um, but yeah, we're, 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 we're still continuing to keep one foot in Scotland and one foot uh, in the States. It's, be, it's been really lovely to see the, the growth of, of, uh, of interest in work that comes out of Scotland and, and, uh, and also to kind of watch some of our shows go from being those little like fringe productions that we started years ago and, and growing into something bigger that, that, that more audiences can see, which is, uh, which is really lovely. It's a, it's a lovely part of the, of the work. Well, we're going to see you back here in September, you're joining yes, us well. for one of our events back here, mm -hmm. the Wallace. And um, and I hope that we get a chance to do another preview as we did with My Name is Ben. That was absolutely fantastic. And so proud that we've been able to be a part of your journey and keep in touch and know what's going on. And um, this and also hear from you today with your picks for the festival. So um, as we close this segment, what would you like us to hear? Uh, I think po possibly just because it's linked into everything, a piece from Kaylee would probably be right. But Claire, I'll let you, you can decide which one we, we go with. <laughs> I think um, let's play something like this, which is um, a really fun, upbeat dance. Duncan the Stout was a man who loved to dance. Summon all his clan whene'er he found a chance. First he'd lead them in a toast and command they get in pairs. The dance we dance tonight will be danced for a hundred years. So Duncan he taught Patrick the collar after him. The steps to his dance so it could be taught again. And when Duncan died in battle, Patrick called the clan. Find yourselves a partner and let's celebrate our Fantastic. So see you very sh soon and keep cool. It's horribly warm here, but I, I hear it's even hotter back there in Scotland. Yes. It's the first time for everything, right? I know. <laughs> so speak soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Camilla. Bye. Bye. -bye. Thank you for joining us this week. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we've enjoyed bringing it to you. 
It was wonderful to hear from Anthony Alderson and hear of all that is planned with the Pleasants, from Amina to see the wonderful treasure gallery now come to life and allowing us to see so many additional pieces of the library and understand much more what it's about. And finally, the chance to really chat with and understand behind the scenes from Noisemaker, the, one, the challenges, but also the wonderful um, opportunity that performing at the Fringe can give a new production or new artists. To learn more about what the American Scottish Foundation does, please go to our website, americanscottishfoundation.org and join us again the first and the third Monday of the month for another Scots in Us. Thank you.